Welcome to Sight Sounds, Black Cube's first podcast. As a nomadic art museum, Black Cube brings art to audiences in unexpected places. Today, we'll be traveling to the historic mining town of Gold Hill, Colorado, exploring the story behind Black Cube's most recent pop-up exhibition, The Gold Hill Art Project. It's an old mining village, you know, 1860s. 1859, of course, was the first year. You come down and it's it's a dirt road. We're proud of that because it takes us back to that rustic time and it connects you to the earth. And they'll see the entire continental divide. They'll see Long's Peak. As you look down, you see this little village snuggled into a valley. You drive down into Gold Hill, and it's like stepping back a hundred years plus. My name is Laurie Britton Newell. I'm the curator of the Gold Hill Art Project that brings together the work of three emerging artists who have been commissioned to create new artworks and installations in the historic mining town of Gold Hill. It's been a great pleasure to work with the organization Black Cube and its director, Courtney Stell, in the creation of this pop-up exhibition. My name's Courtney Elaine Stell. I'm the executive director and chief curator of Black Cube, a nomadic contemporary art museum. If you think about the White Cube as a traditional space, a space where art is brought that is outside of the context of everyday life, Black Cube is an institution that's about site specificity, so it's about bringing art to specific locations within context. Black Cube's mission is to support artist sustainability and increase access to the arts. What interested you about Gold Hill as a place to situate a pop-up exhibition? You drove down the hill and picked me up. I think once we hit the dirt road, I knew that I was in a different place. The clouds were hanging really low, and there's all these old sort of dark wood buildings. I remember thinking that Gold Hill was a magical place, and a place that was kind of pulled away from time. The wheels got to turning and thought, what other art institutions do exhibitions in mining towns? The Gold Hill Art Project will take place between August 6th and September 5th, 2016. We hope this podcast will provide a useful behind the scenes, giving you an insider perspective about the ideas, the people and the place behind the Gold Hill Art Project. Hi, my name is Molly Berger. I'm an artist living and working in Denver, Colorado. I'm a 2016 Black Cube Artist Fellow. The installation visually is going to look like over 100 different objects that are based on Gold Hill's history that cover all four walls of the exterior of the cabin space that is the site of my project. So there'll be raw porcelain, white, very matte clay, and then this really bright, shiny, glossy gold. I really distinctly remember um, visiting with Rick Sinner. On the exterior of his sheds outdoors were these old rusty objects that 
cover the exterior um, and their their old roller skates and road signs and skis. And some of them have stories and some of them are just visually interesting. That's really reflected what I am aiming for visually. I try to use as few tools, ironically, as possible. They very much feel handmade and that's really important. And then I'm adding this 14 karat gold ceramic material that is fired onto the porcelain to sort of accent different aspects of these objects, maybe where something might have been touched or held. They talk about function, but they're completely functionless. And in their being placed on the wall, they sort of become these objects of decoration and ornament. How did you find the process of interviewing Gold Hill residents? So in my interviews, I found all these amazing objects. We went and visited with Boyd, and Boyd has an amazing home that has this huge piano inside of it. They put it on a boat in New York, and it went down around the tip of South America and came up to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, it was offloaded onto an ox cart, and they transported it across California, Nevada, Utah, and and the mountains, and got it to Gold Hill. It's a box grand. It's very heavy. It takes 45 men and 10 boys to move it. There's been some instances in which fire has threatened the town because it was such a valued possession. There was a place in the front yard that they dug a hole, and the idea was to take it out and bury it, so nothing happened to it. Then Rick has this beautiful plate that has a calendar year printed on it. Probably nine inches in diameter, and around the exterior of the plate uh, is a 1909 calendar in a green glaze. And in the middle is the image of a Victorian woman, rosy cheeks and brownish red hair. And then underneath that, it's a goldish colored glaze. Um, Is labeled compliments of Frank Boyd, Gold Hill, Colorado. My great-grandfather, his name was Frank Boyd, and he had a store in town. Whatever the miners needed was there, tools, you know, some food. He probably only gave them away to his best customers. They weren't used as everyday dishes. Marie brought out this beautiful pin with a sort of turquoise center that belonged to her great aunt. With all the beadwork and the intricacy of this silver is just beautiful. It's about an inch and a half in diameter. It was given to her by one of the Bluebirds, an organization primarily formed by Jean Sherwood, and my Annie Till, I think, was instrumental in it as well. Jean Sherwood wanted to help out women from Chicago that were single, that worked, and had no breaks. They actually bought the Bluebird Lodge. This was in the 20s. They could come and stay for a week or two. The mining industry was done. There was not much happening. They pretty well saved Gold Hill. And hearing Maggie's stories about how she'd grown up in Gold Hill and participated in all these horse competitions and had these beautiful collections of ribbons. Finally, I talked my parents into getting me a horse, but my folks really didn't know much about horses and they really did not have much money. So they came home with a donkey. 
wiry hair and bulging sides and trying to ride her. I was so upset. I believe I got my first horse when I was 12. And I was crowned queen of the Gymkhana, which is sort of like a little rodeo. I sort of have this idea in my head that I can picture my dad wearing this flannel shirt at a specific time and place in my life, but I also kind of know that that memory may or may not be real. When I was 20 years old, my father passed away. I'm really interested in how those ideas of memory and their permanent yet damaged marks that they make are sort of Sorry. So I'm interested in that idea of how memory is so permanent yet so damaged and how they, despite that fallibility, give us so much of our identity and is the foundation for what we build so much of our personal history on. I've heard a lot of memories from different members of the community and a lot of the times they'll tell me the same story dealing with the same place or the same donkey or the same whatever it is, but the memory is always slightly different. The name is a little bit different. The time is a little bit different. This community of Gold Hill is so small that all of that history has been passed down orally. And so there's so much room for that sort of half truth, half imagination. And I'm really interested in where those two things collide. My name is Eric Stewart, and I'm a 2016 Black Cube Artist Fellow. For the Gold Hill Art Project, I've been working with photograms, which is this way of taking a photograph without using a camera, placing material directly onto the surface of a sheet of film. Henry Fox Talbot is the first person that we can attribute photograms to in the mid-19th century, and he announced his discoveries about the photogram in this publication called The Pencil of Nature. And that title in and of itself illuminates some of the connections between drawing and photography. Photography is usually thought of as something that occurs through vision, and the photogram is a way of creating an image through touch finding a way for nature to write itself into the surface of the film instead of me writing for nature. To make these images, I go out into the field and I collect different pieces of mica, tiny little twigs, pollen, tiny little pieces of quartz. All of the materials were derived from Gold Hill. Quartz and gold have a synergistic relationship. It was in the mid-19th century that a quartz-bearing vein in Gold Hill was discovered that later brought on the proper discovery of gold itself. And then the next step is that I have to go into a dark room. I lay out these large sheets of color film. I'll take some tiny little clippers and maybe I'll shave some mica, break it up, and spread it around. I'll feel my way around arranging them. I'll try and choose minerals that have colors that I like. And I really try to intentionally think about what's opaque and what's transparent. Some of it's up to chance and some of it's by choice. 
Then I'll turn the light on, turn the light off very fast, less than a second, and then do it again. The process doesn't just end in the darkroom. I bring it to the lab and they do their chemical magic to process the color images. And then I have to scan them. And that's where the enlargement takes place. They've been exploded 50 to 100 times larger than they originally are. I'm interested in how Gold Hill can be explored at kind of the smallest level. I printed them out very large and then they've been laminated and applied to this large sheet that we've then set inside of steel frames and sealed with silicone. So not a drop of water is gonna touch them and it is unknown how many bears will. <laughs> the images are gonna be situated at the corner of pine and lick skillet. They'll begin on this flattened out area that's the foundation of a former cabin, and then continue on this trail that eventually ends at an old gold mining pit. So a lot of what I've been thinking about in this project is the connections between geology and photography and the ways that we image time and imagine time. Taking on the knowledge of geology allows us to see multiple millions of years in one solid surface. So photography is about writing instances of time into a frame, into a strata. They're the moment that I expose them, and they're also the millions of years contained in a bit of quartz. That whole notion of digging up resources and that relevance to human, political, social, and aesthetic culture is the foundation of what I'm thinking about. There's this idea that photography is non-invasive, that it's neutral, objective, and scientific. Because I'm excavating and I'm pulling things out of the earth, I'm trying to make the connection between invasive action and photography. It's less easy to imagine how Beardstadt's images of the Rocky Mountains are invasive or a form of commodification. Mining in its broadest sense is about quantifying and commodifying the earth. So landscape painting and landscape photography does a similar gesture and I think it's slightly dangerous to think about those gestures as being non-invasive. My name is Jennifer Lane Datchik. I currently live in San Antonio, Texas. I am an artist who primarily works in porcelain clay, and my work addresses conflict as experienced through issues of race, identity, and gender. I am a 2016 Black Cube Artist Fellow. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the ideas behind your project for Gold Hill. As a first-generation Chinese-American, I'm interested in recontextualizing the history of Chinese in Gold Hill and mirroring it to present-day racial landscape. I recently read a book written by William Way. William Way, professor of history at the University of Colorado at Boulder. About Asians in Colorado. And there are parts of this history that become passed down as historical fiction. And I'm interested in finding out what it meant for Asians to be involved in the building of America. Before they came to Colorado, Coloradans already didn't like them. The news that they heard from California had 
stereotype them as unfair competition, as uh, individuals who uh, were unassimilable. They felt that uh, they didn't belong in American society. By the time they had reached Colorado in 1869, they were looking for a means uh, to uh, make a living and, quite frankly, were prepared to uh, do any kind of work that was available to them. They engaged in placer mining, gold uh, that could be found, for example, in streams, which they could gather together, isolate, and separate from the rock. It was the kind of labor, quite frankly, that the white miners uh, refused to do. It was too labor-intensive, and the amount of profit that could be gained from it was too little. So a building I'm interested in in Gold Hill is what was once the old Chinese laundry bathhouse. Can you explain why Asians had jobs like that during the gold rush? (laughs) Yes. They ended up being laundrymen uh, mainly because that was one of the few jobs that they were allowed to perform. It required mainly a wash basin, what they called an eight-pound iron, and a willingness to work very hard. Growing up, I always heard what I probably think now is historical fiction, how Chinese had these laundry houses. They would wash the clothes of miners and kind of collect the gold dust from their clothes. (laughs) And I don't actually know if that's physically possible, but... I always kind of attributed it to like how ingenious and resourceful Chinese were during desperate times. Well, uh, that's one of many stories I've heard. I don't think the stories are true. However, I do think that the Chinese in the American West did in fact adapt uh, to the circumstances in which they found themselves in order to make a living and to support their families in China. This has been the first episode of Sight Sounds, the Black Cube podcast series. The Gold Hill Art Project will be on view in Gold Hill, Colorado, between August 6th and September 5th, 2016, with special events taking place every Sunday. You can learn more about the exhibition and each of the featured artists on our website, blackcubeart.org. I'd like to thank all of our speakers today, Jennifer Ling Dachuk, William Way, Eric Stewart, Molly Berger, Maggie Sims, Rick Sinner, Marie Brocart, Boyd Brown, and Courtney Lanesdell. A special thanks to our sound engineer and editor, Erica O'Connor. A list of credits for music and sound effects can be found on our website. This is Laurie Britton-Newell saying goodbye from Gold Hill, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs>